The Coram Deo Church Community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Today's scripture is Psalm 39. I said, I will guard my ways that I might not sin with my tongue. I'll guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. So I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me as I mused the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing there in turmoil, man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O oh Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me, for I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cry. Do not hold your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I am depart and am no more. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning to you, church family. Uh, my name is Justin Curtis. I also serve as one of the pastors here at Coram Deo, and as always, it is a joy uh, to experience God's presence with you and through you as we gather here on Sunday mornings. No one who lives in this world is immune to suffering. We are all sinners and sufferers living in a broken world. As one commentator put it, he said, the journey of life will at times take us over some very difficult terrain. Adversity replaces prosperity. Turmoil swallows up tranquility. Chaos obliterates order. Doubt replaces faith. Most of us have experienced these things to one degree or another. And being a disciple of Jesus Christ, learning his ways and obeying his commands does not make you exempt to that. Jesus himself said that to be a Christian, one must pick up his or her cross and follow him. He warned his disciples before he departed the world that suffering was coming in the world and suffering was coming from the world. The world is ready to treat you as one who is deceived, who is simple-minded, who is ignorant. 
So like I said a couple weeks ago, tongue-in-cheek, our life is not always flowers and butterflies. Sometimes it's challenging and it's faced with hardships. I found myself wrestling with Psalm 39 uh, for the last week. As you prepare to preach the Word, you kind of take on the Word of God and and live uh, through the lens of it, uh, and it's been heavy. My soul's felt heavy as I've prayed and prepared for this sermon, because I know many of you have gone through, many of you are going through, many of you will be facing seasons of extended suffering. And you, like King David in Psalm 39, feel like you have been, currently are, or will be at the end of yourself. Psalm 39 is an honest lament of desperation. It is heavy, it is raw, and it is God's word. I was speaking to somebody right before the service, and they said, wasn't, wasn't that what Psalm 38 was? I'm like, well, kind of. Uh, to me, it's felt a little bit like Psalm 38 is what David prayed, and then three years later, nothing's changed, and you get Psalm 39, okay? So why is Psalm 39 in the Bible? Of all the poems, of all the songs that King David wrote, why did God inspire this one to be included in his word? Well, I think Psalm 39, it gives us language and lessons for seasons of extended suffering. Psalm 39 gives us lessons for seasons of extended suffering. So let me share with you four lessons from Psalm 39 that will be a guide and a grace for us when we inevitably face extended suffering. Here's lesson number one. Guard your tongue. Guard your tongue. Listen to the language of David's prayer in verse one. He says, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. Is it not true that when you suffer, you are prone to complain. We all are. David was so committed to honoring God's name that he guarded his mouth, his words, his tongue, especially around those who did not love God. Keep in mind, King David was known as a man who was after God's own heart. Deep down, David loved God. And like so many of you, he didn't want to give anyone an ounce of ammunition to be used against God in a way that would defile his goodness or the glory of his name. The Bible tells us that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And in seasons of extended suffering, the heart can sound a little like this. Why would God do this? Why would God allow this? Where is God in this? If God loves me, why haven't my circumstances changed yet? Why is God making this so hard? Now hear me. God can handle these questions. 
God can hear these cries. I would say that God even invites this type of honesty and authenticity from you. But at times, those around you, they can't. I remember as a new Christian, uh, working through a study called Sonship. Me and a few guys were going through this study, and I think the third week of that study, there was an assignment called the Tongue Assignment. And it was an assignment that was used to make us aware of our daily need for the grace of God in our own lives. The assignment went like this. It said, for one week, do not gossip, complain, criticize, blame shift, defend yourself, boast, or deceive others. As an introvert, I kind of had an advantage on some of you. (laughs) I did pretty well. I mean, I think the first day I lasted a good 45 minutes before I had a conversation with somebody. Found myself having to start again. I was reading a commentary on this psalm, and it told this story that back in the 5th century, uh, the story is told of an ordinary peasant who came to a wise Bible teacher and asked him to teach him some psalms. The wise old man began to read Psalm 39, and after hearing just the first verse, the peasant got up and said that he would make that his first lesson and go away and work on it. And he never returned. (laughs) Right? The wise man saw him two months later and asked if he wanted to continue hearing the psalm, and the peasant said he had not yet mastered the first lesson. And 49 years later, that same peasant said he was still working on the same lesson. I want you to hear, in a world full of noise, right, in a world marked by self-expression, pursuing the discipline of silence, guarding your tongue, requires purposeful intentionality. Our current cultural moment will want to tell you and convince you that you have the inherent right to say whatever it is you want to say, wherever it is you want to say it. And now we have different modes of communication. Like you can pick whatever your favorite channel of social media is, and that's the place where you express your tongue. But Christians lean in a more nuanced direction, saying that with rights come responsibilities. Like God has commanded us. He's given us the responsibility to love him and to love others. And as God, he also has the right to tell us how we should go about doing this. There are some things that we should say And there are some things that we should not say. Part of surrendering your life under the lordship of Christ involves embracing the responsibility that comes with loving him and loving others with the common good in mind. And therefore, we embrace the responsibility to speak words that will build up and to strengthen one another while also restraining words that will tear down and weaken one another. See, we as Christians are are called to actually guard our tongue in seasons of prosperity and in seasons of suffering. King David in Psalm 39 strives to maintain his integrity and God's honor by keeping his mouth shut in his suffering. And that worked until it didn't. Verses 2 and 3. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. 
But notice here in a moment who David speaks to when he can no longer remain silent. David doesn't go to the king's table and discuss things with his leadership team. He doesn't go out to the public square and address his issues with the masses. He doesn't even gather together his gospel community to vent to them. No, David, first and foremost, turns to God in prayer. He did not complain about God. He complained to God. And that's a distinct mark of biblical lament. And that brings us to our second lesson. Lesson number two, remember your limitations. Remember your limitations. Again, listen to the language of Psalm 39, verses four through six. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. David is remembering the reality of the brevity, the frailty, arguably even the futility of life. This sounds like much of the other wisdom literature we see in the Bible. It has that feeling of what his son Solomon would up, end up writing in the book of Ecclesiastes when he said, life is vanity, right? Life is meaningless. David himself in Psalm 90 verse 12 said these words, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So there seems to be, according to Psalm 90, and we can read that back into Psalm 39, a correlation between being able to number our days, knowing the number of our days, and living in wisdom. A helpful definition of wisdom that has stuck with me over the years is that wisdom is a spiritual depth perception. It's about knowing how to respond to life and to live life from a well-positioned perspective. And when you're in the midst of extended seasons of suffering, you need perspective. Twice in this psalm, at the end of verse 5 and again at the end of verse 11, it reads this, Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Selah. Selah is a, it's a Hebrew word. It's a literary tool that's being used here, and it's intended to produce a pause or a break for the reader. It creates space for the reader to consider uh, a certain truth or the significance that's coming out of the preceding passage. So the author is placing a special emphasis on the statement, surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. So let us pause and consider. According to my Garmin watch this week, I on average take about 14 breaths per minute. 14 times over the course of 60 seconds, I inhale and I exhale. When I'm sleeping, it's a few less. When I'm exercising, it's a whole lot more. 
but roughly 14 breaths per minute. That equals to about 840 breaths in an hour. 20,160 breaths in a day. Just over 7 million breaths over the course of a year. So assume with me that by God's grace, I'm at about the halfway point of my life and I end up dying at the age of 83. If that happens, at that time, I will have breathed or taken in 610 million 747,200 breaths. Take one with me. Inhale. And exhale. What David is illustrating is that in the scope of eternity, your life stands as a mere breath. David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, in his extended season of suffering, wants to pause and remember his limitations, how fleeting life is, how quickly this life will pass into the next. Why? Because that provides wisdom and perspective. When we suffer for a long time, it can become all-consuming. It's all we think about. It's what's on the front of our mind when we wake up in the morning. It's the last thing that's on our mind as we hit the pillow at the end of the day. We can feel like it will last forever. But hear this. If this life is a mere breath, your suffering will not last forever. Which means your suffering will not be the defining reality of your existence. For those of you who have surrendered your life to King Jesus, he clearly taught with authority that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And with the scope of eternity in mind, you can rest assured that your suffering has a shelf life. And with the confidence of that perspective, you can live with wisdom investing your suffering into things that have eternal significance. You can sit down and share your life with those who are suffering. You can speak with others of the hope you have in the midst of your suffering. I often say, for those of you, those who are a part of this church who struggle with chronic suffering, you have a deeper appetite, a richer longing for the coming kingdom of God, for things to be made right, for all things to be made new. We need that here at Coromdale. We need to be reminded over and over again that this is not it. That these little kingdoms that we build here on earth are not the end game. That there is a king and a kingdom coming that will so outshine the greatest pleasures and achievements that this life has to offer. We need that reminder. We need that hope. So remember your limitations, particularly in light of the hope of eternal life. Lesson one, guard your tongue. Lesson two, remember your limitations. Lesson three, be honest. Be honest. 
Again, back to the language of Psalm 39, verses 7 through 11. And this is where I feel like the text really starts, you start to feel the weight of it. It says, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Can you hear the honesty? David is being honest with God. David is being honest with himself. He is turning to the one who, from his vantage point, has at the very least permitted his suffering, if not had been the active agent in his suffering. David is saying this, God, you're doing this. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. God wants your honest expressions. He can take it. He wants your honesty because he wants intimacy. He understands your desperate heart and he wants you to trust in him and hope in him. So he gives you permission to be honest, to express your unproductive emotions to him to express your inefficient thoughts and the cries of your heart to him. David is not only being honest with God, he's he's being honest with himself. You can almost hear the echoes of Job in this part of the psalm. Job, there's a book given to him. Job is a story of incredible suffering that happens over the course of time. And when Job is faced with suffering, he says these words, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And it's though David in the same way is realizing there's no point in hoping in anything else. You can take it all away. If I hope in anything else dear to me, you can eat that away too like a moth. There's no point in hoping in my wealth. There is no point in hoping in my power or leadership position. There's no point in me hoping in the things of this world. Surely all of mankind and everything under the sun is a mere breath. Yet David says, my hope is in you. As one American author put it, it is far better to be disappointed with God than to be disappointed without him. It's far better to be disappointed with God than to be disappointed without him. David was aware, like I hope you are this morning, that when he faced suffering, when he faced the chastisement for his sin, when he faced the frailty and finiteness of his life, that his only hope for deliverance was in the Lord himself. 
And that brings us to our fourth and final lesson. Plead for peace. Plead for peace. Verse 12. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all of my fathers. David is praying through tears for peace. He wants reprieve. He wants peace. And this longing for peace reminds me of the ironic blessing found in Numbers 6, 22, verse 26. It was these very words that I spoke from here on Friday night. I was officiating a wedding. The wedding was drawing to a, to a conclusion. The vows had been exchanged. The rings had been exchanged. And after praying for the couple, I looked at them and I said, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. David would have known. It, it has been back, I mean, backlogged in the history of God's people that the gaze of God, the face of God was correlated with blessing with light, with goodness, grace, and peace. And when it seemed as though God had turned his face away, it was then they experienced suffering and sadness and darkness and chaos. Which makes the final verse of this psalm so perplexing. David closes his prayer by saying this, Again, this is the last verse of this psalm. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. In other words, God, turn your face away from me so I can smile for a moment before I die. What are we supposed to do with that? Here's what the famous psalm scholar Derek Kidner says, and I think it's key to unlocking this psalm. He said, the very presence of such prayers in Scripture is a witness to his understanding. God knows how men speak when they are desperate. God knows how men speak when they are desperate. This is a cry of desperation. And it's in the Bible to remind you and to show you that God is not offended by your desperation. God is big enough to handle your pain. God is big enough to handle your anger. God is big enough to handle your confusion. In fact, this reminds us of another cry of desperation, doesn't it? On the cross, as he suffers, Jesus Christ cries out using the language of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Meaning on this side of the cross, when we suffer, 
our cries of desperation are taken up into Christ's cry of desperation. Psalm 39, 13 anticipates the cross of Jesus Christ. The psalmist prays, look away from me that I may smile again. But because God looked away from his own son at the cross, we can smile again. Your hope in suffering is not God turning his face away from you. Your hope in suffering is that God turned his face away from his own son. And because of that, desperation can be turned into hope. Despair can be turned into worship. Suffering does not have the last word. Jesus was forsaken on the cross so that you could be forgiven. Jesus felt the profound weight of spiritual separation from his eternal Father, whose gaze he had always enjoyed, so you could receive grace. Symbolically, this is what we often sing about in the hymn, how great the Father's love for us, that the Father turned his face away from Jesus, so that we may never lose the face of our Heavenly Father. Friends, Psalm 39 is a psalm of lament. It gives us language and lessons for seasons of extended suffering. It instructs you to guard your tongue. It invites you to remember your limitations. It permits you to be honest and plead for peace. Let's glean that wisdom. Let's receive that grace. In a room this large, the honest truth is, is that for some of you, this ministers to you right now. Allow these lessons to be a grace to you in this season. For others of you, you might just be storing these lessons away for the future. Let them be an anchor for what it looks like to lament when you inevitably face seasons of extended suffering. But let's also rest ourselves in the grace of the gospel, knowing that even in seasons of extended suffering, those who are united with Christ, and even when you fail to guard your tongue, your sins are forgiven and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, a spirit that gives self-control. United with Christ, when suffering reminds you of your limitations, of your finiteness, you have the hope of eternal life. That united with Christ, when you honestly feel like you are at the absolute end of yourself, God is there. Hope in him. And united with Christ, no matter whatever, whatever form of suffering you face, whether it be physical, spiritual, relational, emotional, whatever it is you face, know that you have the face of your heavenly Father shining upon you, being gracious to you even in suffering and giving you peace. Let's pray and give him thanks for that. 
Good and gracious Father, thank you for the many different ways you come to us through your word. You don't just give us language and lessons for life. You give us yourself, a father to know, a father who loves us and cares for us much more than we realize. Thank you for not turning your gaze away from us when we were in hard places. Thank you that your word is honest and upfront about what life will be like between the resurrection of Jesus and the return of Jesus. We will face difficult seasons and all types of suffering in this life and so will the people that we love. Would you grant us perspective? Help us to know the measure of our days. Allow us to have ears to hear your promise to restore and strengthen us in and through our sufferings. And even now, Father, bless us and keep us. Make your face shine upon us and be gracious to us. Give us peace in communion with you all the days of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name for our good and ultimately for your glory. Amen.